Amen. And while we're at it with things that I forgot, um, let's talk about Jacob Bears. Jacob's been really sick, actually, over in Ghana. Um, but this is really cool. So the air pollution is really bad this time of, time of year. It gets really dry, and, um, and so it can just get a little intense. But um, I've been praying for him. Other people I know have been praying for him. But uh, yeah, it's the dry season. The sands of the Sahara are coming in. They're burning everything, so the pollution is really big. But um, he said, Dan, the craziest... Th- this is, he says this on Wednesday. He says, Dan... The craziest thing ever just happened to me. Long story short, Reverend Maxwell prayed for my health, and mid-prayer, my nose cleared up, my throat is no longer sore, and my voice is back to normal. I have sore lungs from the coughing, but I feel ten times better. Hallelujah. Can we just thank the Lord for that? Praise God. And thank you for uh, continuing to raise money for the Ghana team. Our next fundraiser is the concert on December 3rd, 7 to 9. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, in Christ, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. He is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10 By this it is evident who are the children of God, listen church, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. Your word is amazing. I thank you that we are not left abandoned on this earth to try to figure it out on our own. But yet here you are teaching us once again by a living and active word of God. Speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's look at these first three verses. See, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Everyone say, God's children. children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, when Christ appears, We shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. So John says, because of the Father's love for us, you and I are called children of God. 
We're children of God. Don't let anyone else deceive you. Don't let anyone distract you. Don't let anyone try to tell you, to convince you, to believe anything other than this great news. You are children of God. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And yet look how great the Father's love is for you and for me that God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, has now called us children of God. Amen. I've talked about this before, but sometimes we can go through a bit of an identity crisis. We forget who we are. I see this a lot in in Christians. And we begin to live for the things of this world and even living for the world instead of living for God and living for His kingdom. And this happens all the time. It usually happens, I've noticed, because some kind of life event has happened. You experience some kind of life event that causes you to trust in the world and to live for the world instead of trusting in and living for God. Crisis can do this. If you've ever been in crisis, and most of us have been in crisis, you know that crisis can be a catalyst for us turning from living for God and living for His kingdom and instead living for the world and the things of the world. I see this all the time as a pastor. Maybe it's when your spouse has an affair or when your boss lets you go from your job or when you get that diagnosis that just isn't very good. We witness this every four years with the presidential election. It's these intense moments where Christians forget who we are. And didn't we see that in the past few weeks? But it's like the hymn writer writes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. But God is so wonderful to us, isn't he? God is so good to us. In this family, we've all done a version of this before, where we live for the world, begin to live for the world instead of God, living by the wisdom of earth instead of the wisdom of heaven. We've all gone down that path before, and yet God is so good to us. His Holy Spirit never gives up on us. He is constantly reminding us of who we are, and we see this played out in 1 John again and again. I hope you've enjoyed walking through it as much as I have. You see in 1 John 2.12, he reminds us, no, you are one whose sins have been forgiven. 1 John 2, 17 and 25, he says, you are one who will live forever. You are one who has eternal life in Christ. 1 John 2, 27, he says, no, you are the one who has the Holy Spirit abiding in you and you abide in Christ. And that's why this letter from John is so powerful to me because, again, we're all prone to wander, but here's this powerful reminder from God to his children, to us. Remember who you are, remember whose you are. As you read John, I don't don't know about you, but I I get this sense of John's love, this passion that John has for the people who are going to read this letter. It's true what he writes earlier, but I see this in John. As Christ has loved John, so John loves us. I believe you see that as he writes. John loves us with the love of Christ. John calls us, if you remember this a couple of weeks ago, I said John calls us his little children six different times in this short letter. John loves us. And he wants to remind us of who we are, that you and I, we are children of God. If you don't hear another word that I speak today, and I'm probably going to say a few of them, but I hope that you can at least walk out of here today remembering that regardless of how you came in today, whether you've been living by the world's standards or God's standards, if you've been living by earth or by heaven, today, right now, you can leave here with a confidence that you are a child of God. If you have Christ You are a child of God. 
That's who you are. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. All right, verse 2. Beloved, he says, we are God's children now. Again, I want you to, I really want this to stick with you. Say God's children. That's you. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So who is he talking about? Well, he's telling us this guy named Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He will appear again. And when we see him, we will be like him. Reminds me of Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking and he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly await for his return as our Savior. And then look what he says. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. John's reminding us of the same truth. That Jesus is returning as Savior, and when he does, we will become like him. Uh, I don't know about you, but this is an amazing, awesome truth, right? This kind of should blow us away. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And it's wonderful. But if you have your Bibles open or if you've listened to the passages that I've read, you know that he doesn't stop there, right? He, he continues to write. John has more to say. And as you continue to read, you discover... And pay attention here. You discover that John believes that this amazing truth of Christ's return, this reality that Jesus is coming back, that it should actually motivate how we live. It should actually influence our choices, our actions, our decisions. John strongly believes this. You see this in one of the verses that you covered last Sunday, chapter 2, verse 28. Listen to what he says. Dear children, again, do you hear that? Children, dear children, continue in him, continue in Christ, so that when he appears, when Christ appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So live with God, live for God. As a Christian, you are now a child of God. You are in the family of God. So don't run after the things of this world. Right? Don't succumb to the passions and the lust of the flesh. Don't chase after all the things that are passing away. No, remember who you are, a child of God, forgiven in Christ, possessing eternal life, a citizen of God's kingdom. And though you are in the world, do not be of the world. You be a Christian. You be a child of God. Continue in him. Abide in him. Follow his commands because don't you know he's coming back. And John desires and God desires that all of us might be confident and unashamed when Jesus, our soon and coming king, appears again. And then he writes in verse 3, all who have this hope, this hope of his return, all who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. If you have this hope, you purify yourself as Christ is pure. See, there's a response to the good news of Christ's return. Now we can respond many different ways, right? But our response is truly found in how you and I choose to live this life. And how often do we choose poorly, right? How often do we take advantage of this amazing news of Jesus coming back, and yet instead of it influencing how we live, we just kind of go back to living for the world. John sees this with his own eyes in the church. Do you remember the book of James? James witnessed this. If you've read his book, he saw this happening in the church. People were really good at talking the talk, but they weren't walking the walk. They were living for the world instead of God. And he says, don't just listen to the word. No, actually do what it says. The Apostle Paul, he saw this a lot going on in the early church. He had to remind Christians again and again and again and again not to live according to the flesh. But no, you are a Christian. You are one who lives by the 
spirit. From the earliest days of Christianity, Christians began to forget who they were and whose they were. They had this glorious news. I mean, we're talking about amazing news. Your sins are forgiven. This amazing news that you have eternal life in Christ. And yet they forgot who they were and they went out. They lived for the world and the things of the world. And how many of us have carried on that tradition 2,000 years later? And yet, God is so in love with us. He's so in love with his people. Have you noticed that? That God doesn't give up on us. Even with this letter from John, you see this intense love and amazing grace from God. This intense love and amazing grace that he has for his people. When you read the word, there's always this encouragement from the word of God to come back to God. Have you found that to be true? That when you read the word, it's always come back, come back, come back. There's a heart of reconciliation that the Father has. Come back. Remember the hope that you have in Christ. Remember the hope that you have of His return. Remember the hope that you have of the transformation that will occur in all of us on that glorious day of His return. Remember the good news. And verse 3 says, Purify yourself today as He is pure. Child of God. Purify yourself today as he is pure. And now in the rest of this passage, John just begins to lay it out. In case you were wondering what it means to be a Christian, in case you had some questions on what it means to be a child of God, in case you maybe were confused on what it means to purify yourself, well, here you go. John lays it out quite well. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, oh, I love how much he loves us. He said, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God continues to practice sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I love this passage. It's amazing because it does this beautiful, just a fantastic job of reminding us of who we are. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago that when we became Christians, we didn't just become nicer or kinder or better. When we became Christians, we went from death to life. From death to life. Scripture after scripture tells us that as Christians, we now have life. We have a new heart. We have a new spirit. We're walking in newness of life as new creations. This is our new identity. Our identity now is ones who are holy, blameless, righteous, clean, perfect. Not because of us. Not because of anything I have said or anything I have done. But because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Every one of us who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are born again, spiritually born again. You can say that like they used to say in the 1980s. I have been born again. I'm a born again believer. That is the truth of who you are in Christ. And as Christians, 
as new creations in Christ. We've been adopted into God's family. I am a child of God. And as his children, with new hearts, with his spirit abiding in us, as this passage describes, we are the ones who practice righteousness. And you know why? Because Christ is righteous. And we are righteous as he is righteous. We practice righteousness because it's who we are. We don't practice sin because God's seed abides in us. Christ is in us. And by the way, Christ in us, that guy, Christ, like the risen Savior, he is not in the habit of sinning. He is not in the business of sinning. No, the Word of God says that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. The devil, by the way, who's been sinning from the beginning. John says, but no, Jesus came and he destroyed the works of the devil. And so we no longer live as children of the devil, sinning every opportunity that we have. No, we live as children of God. We actually behave and practice righteousness. We care about what we say. We care about what we do. We care about what we feed ourselves with. We care about what we listen to. We care about what we watch. We care about our attitudes. We care about our thoughts. We care about what we think of others. We care about how I feel towards others. And we care about how we treat others. We are Christians. And anytime we are tempted to gratify those cravings of the flesh or succumb to temptation by the Holy Spirit, he reminds us of who we are in Christ, that we are Christians. We are children of God, not in the habit of sinning. And John and the Lord and the Spirit all want to remind us of this amazing truth today. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. And I believe there's a warning in here as well for every one of us. If you find yourself in the habit of sinning and yet you're a Christian, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. That is not who you are in Christ. Turn from anything that is sin. Turn from lawlessness. Turn from unrighteousness. As the writer of Hebrews writes, he says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses you know what? So let's throw off everything. Say everything. everything. Throw off everything that hinders and throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Instead, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Remember who you are. And anything that is not of God, throw it off. You know, the writers of the New Testament who are all divinely inspired by God's Spirit, you see a common theme in their writing. And please read the Bible. Please stop trying to be a Christian without reading the Word of God. It is a miserable existence. Have you noticed that? Read the Word of God. But they all have this passion for God's people to remember who they are. And if you're sinning, if you're doing anything contrary to God's will for you, they want you to know that is not who you are. So repent and turn. Put on the armor of God. Resist the devil. Flee from sin. Put aside the old self. Put on the new self. Remember who and whose you are and live obediently and passionately for God. And they write this way, and this is so important, because your life and how you're living matters to God. And it should matter to you. Your life, like how you live today, it matters. It mattered to the authors of the New Testament. If it didn't matter, they wouldn't write the things that they write about godly living. It mattered to the leaders of the early church. It matters to God. Your life 
the one life that you have on this earth and how you're living it, the choices you are making right now, it matters. It matters to God. See, the life that God gives us is not just about heaven or hell. Somehow we made it just about heaven or hell. But you need to hear this, church. This is how much God loves you. He didn't just send Jesus to earth to kind of get you this get-out-of-hell-free card, right? That you kind of put in your back pocket, and when you breathe your last breath, you go, ha-ha, going to heaven. No, he came to this earth. It wasn't, I mean, yeah, that's a part of it for sure. But God actually cares about you, not just about what happens after you die, but he cares about you right now. He cares about your life right now. Eternal life, it doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins the minute that you accept Jesus Christ into your life. Do you remember Jacob, our missionary in Ghana? About six weeks ago, he preached from the very beginning of 1 John. And Jacob said something so powerful. He says, Jesus doesn't just give you eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have life. Right now, eternal life. And the life in Jesus, by the way, it's good. It's a good life. It's more than good. It's absurdly better than good. It is beyond good. Jesus gives us life. Jesus is life. But in our free will, we can always choose to live for sin. Have you noticed that? I have some good practice in that world, right? (laughs) We have this free will to practice sin, to live for the things of this world, to live by and for the wisdom that comes from earth instead of the wisdom that comes from above. We have this ability to live by the flesh instead of living by the Spirit, right? In free will, we can all do that. But yet the writers of the New Testament, again, I love the Bible because they're always encouraging us to live for something greater. See, they wanted our lives to flourish. They wanted for you to be able to live an abundant, joy-filled life. And they all understood that living in sin and living for the things of this world instead of living for God, it would never, ever satisfy. It is so far removed from the life that God has called you to live. And yet, how many times do we excuse our sin away And yet it is so far away from the life he has called us to live. As a pastor, I run across so many people who are living in sin. And I find that I don't really have to say anything in these moments. Because you already feel it. You know why you feel it? Because sin always leads to death. There is no life in sin. And when you're trapped in sin, it is a miserable existence. And you don't need a pastor to tell you it's wrong because you know it. You feel it. You're living it. It is a terrible place to be. And yet as Christians, how many of us still choose sin over righteousness? Even though it brings darkness instead of light. Even though it brings death instead of life. And yet we choose sin over righteousness and and i think we can all slip into this from time to time in fact right now if you feel yourself in a season of sin where you're choosing the wrong things again and again and again you need to know you're quite normal it happens to the best of us yes even that person next to you that looks like they've never done anything wrong in their life we've all done that we're prone to wander lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love and yet the word of god 
through John and James and Peter and Paul. God doesn't inspire them to write these scriptures to condemn you, right? To just kind of kick you while you're down. No. And yet, how often, by the way, do we do that to our brothers and sisters when we catch them in the sin? Oh, we are so good with righteous judgment. Bam, I'm going to get you. No. God loves us. And he loves you so much that he sent his word not to condemn you, but to remind you of who you are. Remember, you are a child of God. You don't have to stay stuck in your sin. There's a better life to be lived. A life where you can abide in the Lord and he abides in you. A life where you can choose to walk in the newness of life, the freedom of life in Christ compared to the lawlessness, the chaos, and the death, even the slavery of sin. Paul gives us that encouragement in Philippians. I love Philippians, by the way. Maybe my favorite. But in chapter 4, he says this. If you're struggling with sin, memorize this one. If you're struggling, just memorize this verse. He says, dear brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. So who is he talking to? He's talking to the children of God. He says, hey, family, one final thing. Got one more thing for you. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable. Right, pure, lovely. Fix your thoughts on what is admirable. Think about things that are excellent. Think about things that are worthy of praise. If you're struggling today, if you're caught up in your sin, begin to think of the good things of God and His kingdom. God's Word, it challenges us all to walk in righteousness. Choose the things of God. Choose the good Good things of God. Choose life. Choose life. And if there's any area where you haven't been doing that, right now, just turn from it. Turn from it. Start again. There's this amazing passage in the book of James. James, he's hearing about some of the things going on in the church, and he is extremely frustrated with the church. In the church, there's this quarreling and fighting. People are coveting. People are desiring things, and they're selfish And people don't ask God for things. And even when they do ask God for things, he says they're asking with wrong motives. They're just so far off track. They ask for things not so that they might glorify God with them or advance his kingdom with them. No, they ask for things that they might spend what they get on their own passions and their own pleasures. And then he states in James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know That friendship with the world is enmity with God, hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You've lost your way. You've lost your identity. You've forgotten who and whose you are. If you wish to be a friend of the world, you are making yourself an enemy of God. That is your choice. You can choose to do that. You have free will. But you are making yourself an enemy of God. It is so intense. He's not pulling any punches here, but... James, after this intense section of verses, he continues to write. And I'm so thankful that the writers of the New Testament continued to write. He comes in with this incredible verse. And maybe some of you this morning, you need to hear this verse. Not only hear it, but hopefully receive this verse. James says, you know, you've been doing all these things that are complete opposite of what you should be doing. But verse 6, he says, but he gives a greater grace. God gives a greater grace. Yeah, you've been living for the things of this world. You've been living with the wrong attitudes. You've been living with the wrong mindset. Let's be honest. Your mind it hasn't been set on the things of God. Your heart it hasn't been living for the things of God. But there's a greater grace. 
There's a greater grace, God's grace. It is greater than all of your sin. And then James says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives, what does he give? He gives grace to the humble. So submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God, God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let that laughter be turned into mourning. Let your joy be turned into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And I hope you can see it in there. It's almost like James is describing the pathway from living for the world and living for the things of this world and turning from them, walking away from them, walking away from lawlessness and sin, and instead into living in righteousness. It's this true, authentic, sobering, honest journey that many of us as Christians, we probably need to take from living for the world into now living for God. Again, he said, you were living it up in your sin, far from the life that God had called you to live. But God's grace is greater. There is a hope for you. Jesus paid a heavy price for you, and he hasn't given up on you. There is a greater grace right now for all the things you've done that have gone violently against God's kingdom and God's authority. But there is a grace for you, a grace that is greater. But you, my friend, who has free will, who can make choices and make decisions, you have to make the decision to stop. You have to stop living for the world. Stop, humble yourself, submit to God, and allow his grace, his greater grace, begin to minister to you, wash over you, and begin to lead you. You need his grace. Well, how do I receive his grace? Well, you have to humble yourself, right? You have to stop what you're doing. You have to humble yourself. Your pride is getting in the way. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives what? He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself and you'll experience his grace. Humility doesn't really come easy, does it? Or none of us are, many of us or most of us aren't naturals at humility. In our flesh, humility is the complete opposite of what we want to do. But in so many ways, humility, it's one of the first steps, first steps for truly living as a child of God. And then I want to read again these next four verses again from James. And as I do, I just want you to imagine a Christian, whoever that Christian might be, one who is a child of God. They're caught up in sin, caught up in the things of this world. But as I read these verses, I just want you to imagine, I want you to picture in your mind the journey that God desires to take us on as Christians from living for the world to now living for God. And again, if we're honest today, consider that the Lord might want to take you on this journey right now. Here's what the word says. It gives grace to the humble... Verse 7, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then look at the transformation. Look at the renewing that happens in the next verses. Look at this. This is a serious individual. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, it is this pulling away from the things of this world instead of living for the things of earth and now walking by the things of heaven. Be miserable, mourn, weep. How often do we take our sin way too lightly, right? We excuse our sin away as something much less than it actually is. But no, as children of God, today, right now, in this moment, we choose to see sin as it is, in affront to God's kingdom, completely contrary to his will. And so we re repent. We repent of our sin. We turn from our sin. And he says, let your laughter be turned into mourning. You know that laughter where you're laughing it up in your sin? 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let that joy be turned to gloom. And then here is this powerful step of spiritual maturity where we grow, radically grow as God's children. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Another version says, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. See, on Wednesday, as I was going through this passage, I just, I just wanted to be honest with you. I prophetically saw so clearly people grabbing a hold of this message and that people were going to walk out of here today supernaturally leaving the things of this world and instead living for God. No longer living by the wisdom of earth, but instead living by the wisdom of heaven. No longer living in the misery of your sin, but instead living the abundant life, a life that flourishes as a new creation in Christ. I saw that so clearly Wednesday afternoon. It is available right now for you. Again, there's a passion in the word for you to live a life that flourishes as a child of God. And as your pastor, boy, do I want that for you. But here's the reality, and as we close, the worship team can come on up. As human beings, we are really good at excuses. And many of us have great excuses for our sins. Our excuse maybe is a spouse. Our excuse is a parent. Our excuse is a boss or a political candidate. Our excuse is financial trouble or hardship. Our excuse is physical pain. We have so many excuses for why we live in sin, why we live for the things of this world instead of living for God. I run across these excuses on a daily basis. But today is a day of freedom. The Spirit of the Lord is right here, right now. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can be set free right now from all of your excuses. See, your sin is like an anchor, and it keeps you stuck. And your excuses are the rope that keeps you tied to your sin. But today, every one of those ties can be broken in the mighty name of Jesus. If you truly turn from sin, if you truly turn from anything that is not of God, but you must also no longer use the excuses to justify your sin. Instead, you have to get honest with the Lord. Get serious. It's all right to get serious in your faith. Humble yourself before Him. And as you do, you can be set free. You can actually choose and free will choose to be purified as Christ is purified. You can choose to live for God as a child of God, live the life of righteousness that is only found in Christ, the life of righteousness that he has destined designed you to live that is available right now right now his grace is here a greater grace a grace that is greater than all your sins it is here God opposes the proud and I get it you know some proud people and you wish they were here to hear this message but for each one of us to receive this God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble let's humble ourselves receive his grace and let's allow him to lift us up right let him lift us up. And the beautiful thing is when you humble yourself, and it's so, I get it. In our flesh, we're prideful, we're arrogant, but if we humble ourselves, 
The beautiful thing about him lifting us up is when he lifts us up, he no longer lifts us up in who we were in the flesh or who we are in our sin. He lifts us up as who we are in Christ, our true identity in Christ, the newness of life, the newness of living in Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus. He lifts us up that we might actually be confident in who we are, that we could walk out those doors in newness of life, in freedom from sin as true children of God. And so I want to pray for us. Would you bow your heads? I I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here today who is ready to take this step. That there was a day when they confessed you as Lord and Savior, but if they're honest, it was something they said, but it's been harder. The following part has been harder. (laughs) And yet Jesus, I just feel it in such a heavy way. You are not here to condemn even one action of any person here. You're not here to bring up the past, to show, oh, well, you missed up here, or you made a mistake here, or you should have done this instead of that there. No, right now there is a greater grace, greater than all of our sin. And what's available for us right now is an abundant life. That this is not a time to pull up sin and pull up excuses for our sin, pull up the name of our loved one, or pull up the name of a family member, or pull up a name of a coworker, or pull up a name, or pull up an experience, or pull up a crisis. No, this is an opportunity to see that sin and the anchor of that sin and the weight of that sin lose its power over us. That those ties would be broken right now in the mighty name of Jesus. We would no longer be defined by those sins. We'd no longer be defined by those actions. We'd no longer be defined by those hurts or those misgivings. No longer defined by those things, Lord. But instead, right now, we'd be defined as children of God. We'd be reminded that the Father's love has come through His Son, Jesus Christ. And right now, we stand as children of God. Redeemed, forgiven, free children of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, would you just remind us of that right now? And some of us, we just need to get serious with you, to mourn, to weep, to wail before you, God, to rip our clothes before you, God, to say we're tired of living for the world, we're tired of living and indulging the flesh, but today I choose to live for God and God's plans and God's purposes and God's kingdom. And Lord, for every person that's in that place, and I'm not here to judge the attitudes of the hearts of man, but God, you're in this place and you know the attitudes and the thoughts of our hearts. For anyone right now who is honestly, authentically choosing to live for you, God, would you see their hearts? Would you respond to the cry of their heart, Lord? Would you respond right now and fill them afresh? Fill them new again, Lord. Just right now, Lord, just a filling of your spirit once again that they could walk in newness of life, walk in victory in life, walk in abundant life, walk a joy-filled life. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Just do that work even now. Keep ministering, Lord, your presence over us, Lord. That identity, Lord, remind us who we are. Remind us whose we are. Remind us who we are. Remind us whose we are. Remind us of your love. Remind us of you, God. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of a grace that is greater than all our sins. Right now, Lord, just remind us of who we are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, Christ our righteousness. Christ our holiness. Christ our salvation. Christ our Redeemer. Christ our Savior. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Remind us even now, Lord, just speak by your presence. Minister to us by your presence, Lord. Christ in us. 